Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is Jillian Arminante, a director and an actor that you've seen in dozens of TV shows and movies, including Judging Amy, Grey's Anatomy, Castle, Bad Teacher, Girl Interrupted, Dark Knight Rises, and her own project, Current, is uh, Kittens in a Cage, which she is directing and apparently editing herself. Is that true? Well, I, uh, I produced it. Um, I directed it. It was based on a play from a very talented writer uh, in Seattle named Kelly Conway Blanchard. I did the rough cut myself and then called for uh, a, a real editor to come in and, and help me and, and drink beer with me in my garage as we finished the project named Freddie De La Vega, and he was amazing. It's currently on Hulu and Amazon and Vimeo on Demand and a new platform for short form called Vessel. Vessel. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to look that one up. Yeah. I like short form. I'm a big fan of TV. I enjoy movies, but I love the medium of television uh, of shorter format. Uh, I'm the same with books. I like short stories. Do you find that because you've worked in both TV and movie, what which do you prefer as far as a storytelling medium? Well, it's such a different animal. Um, you know, movies, you're very frequently on location, you, uh, you know, it's a, it's a bigger beast. You have more time pending the director. I've worked with some amazing directors that work very quickly. Uh, Michael Winterbottom, for instance, he just, he, you'll be outside like squashing a bug and he'll be filming you and he won't even yell action. It's, it's amazing. (laughs) But uh, TV is kind of more like triage in an ER. You know, you're usually filming eight to 10 pages a day. You, you know, get one or two takes in the can and you move on. So it's it's different animals. I like I enjoy both of them for different reasons. Okay, so your career has been heavily uh, TV centric for at least the first two thirds of it. Is probably that, is is it every actor's goal in Hollywood to eventually move from television to movies? You know, it's interesting. I I pretty much go back and forth. I, I mean, I think my first project was a movie, was Girl Interrupted. Uh, that was my first audition in Hollywood. What year was Girl Interrupted? Gosh. Mm, 98. We filmed it in 99, maybe. Wow. And, time flies. Yeah, it was a long time ago. And then my second audition, I got a West Wing. And my third audition was a series regular in Judging Amy. So, you know, I'm a because I'm a character actress, there's no sort of... You know, the fish jump in the boat sometimes and you're happy to eat it. So I do go back and forth. I just, you know, my my most recent project, uh, commercial project, was uh, Hail Caesar, the new Coen Brothers film, which uh, I have a very small part, but I'm so honored to be working with them. Um, And it's hilarious. It's not out yet, is it? It's not, but check out check out the trailer. It's it's going to it's going to crack it open. I love everything Coen, so. I will be. Mm-hmm. I will be closely watching that. Me too. Um, so you were in a movie called North Country, mm-hmm. and I, I believe, oh, yeah, I believe that was partially filmed in my area up here it, it in, was, the, in the it, Upper Midwest. It was filmed up on the on the Iron Range. Um, we filmed in Hibbing in Virginia, Minnesota, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was uh, based on the book Class Action. And uh, it was a bunch of female miners who, who fought back and actually changed, changed the law. And it started Charlize Theron, uh, Jeremy Renner, gosh, who else? Uh, Michelle Monaghan, the lovely Michelle Monaghan, might I add. And uh, Frances McDormand, Woody Harrelson, Sean Bean. It was just an absolute blast 
to work on, directed by Nikki Cara of Whale Rider fame. We, you know, they treated us right on that movie. We literally uh, went dog sledding and ice fishing, and we just completely immersed ourselves in the Iron Range culture. And uh, it was one of the funnest times of my life, I have to tell you. It was a tough, tough subject matter in terms of material to film, but the, the people in Minnesota were just an absolute blast, and we really ripped it. It was a pleasure to be up there. I that That is not... Um, you sound almost joyful about things like ice fishing, which is not my experience with most people living in California. Well, I think <laughs> ice fishing is code for drinking a lot of Jaeger. It is. So I, I, I did pretty well up there. I had just had a baby six weeks before we filmed that. And uh, I think the week before I got there, it was negative 58 degrees. Yep. So they sort of kept sending mem- memos out to the actors like, um, don't chew gum or you'll break your teeth. <laughs> don't go outside with your hair wet. Please don't wear earrings. Like it was like crazy. Like, And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going from 80 degrees. I think it was about negative 12 when we got there. But uh, I had to breastfeed my baby like in back alleys and in, <laughs> in like iron mining like pits. And it was it was very comic. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to my life. I don't breastfeed any babies, but thank you. You're you're lucky. If you mix it with whiskey, <laughs> it goes down a lot faster, though. <laughs> oh boy. Um, <laughs> so let's see. In in North Country, uh, obviously, as a minor, you played kind of a, a tougher female character, um, and yeah. and a lot of your work has been, I would say, fifty fifty maybe between more dramatic roles and tougher characters. Yeah, I play a lot of mean ladies, or I play a lot of sort of comic fops. It goes, you know, it goes back and forth. When I, you know, when I was heavier, like you know, when you're having babies and stuff, I tended to get cast as a lovable loser. Um, and then when I was like a lot skinnier, suddenly I was like tough girl cop with a chip on her shoulder kind of person. Um, I played a lot of hospital victims. You know, it's crazy. A lot of times I'm the comic relief on a drama, and and now I'm on a sitcom, so it's completely it, it's what's great about being a character actor you can do whatever you want so you know you're not shoved into some little hole I actually did my very first job was on Northern Exposure years and years ago <laughs> and I played three different roles as three different people within two years so you can really you can really uh, when when you look like every man when you don't look like a you know a big big old movie star and you sort of blend you it gives you an advantage of some sorts Okay, so, well, actually, I want to I want to ask you one question before I follow up on that. Um, in uh, uh, part of your reel, under a project called Unnamed Cop Project, <laughs> there is a fight scene of sorts. Well, it's more <laughs> you beating somebody up, and it yeah. is impressive. That's me. That's that's pretty much the closest to me you're going to get on on film. It was never <laughs> released. It was a failed pilot. But I, I literally kick the snot out of a dude and hit him with garbage cans and I lift Slam him over his my head into a vehicle. I lift him over the over my head and I throw him again. That's me. We filmed that. I was wearing a thermal shirt. It was 104. We filmed it in the valley and I had to do it about 24 times. <laughs> um, and that it was the funnest time I've ever had on camera. And unfortunately, very few people will see it. But um, yeah, that's that's me right there. I'm a Jer- I'm a Jersey girl. I was I was amazed. Do you do you work out because lifting I couldn't lift that guy the way that you did in there and I assume there's no wires. So Oh no, there's no there's no <laughs> wires. No, you know what? I'm not a 
a, a fitness person, but I'm an actor, and my you know body and my voice is my my tool. So, you know, I, I played softball growing up. I was a mime at one point. You take everything. I I studied commedia dell'arte in, in England. All of that, believe it or not, is very physically rigorous. You know, I could stand on one foot on the ball of my right foot for for 10 minutes without being pushed over. You know what I mean? It's it's all the tiny little things you do as an actor to be trained, you know? So being so, a mime is like planking? Kind of, yeah. It's oh. like mime planking. Except, you know, except without the white like dripping down your drain after the end of, <laughs> end of the night. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so you mentioned, I guess, plain looking, like non-star like looks. And I'm curious, you, you, you said it as if that had served you well. When I mention your name or, or some of my other friends that I consider extremely good actors, when I mention their names, most people have no idea who I'm talking about. And I have to show a picture for them to register. Right. How has that affected your career? Would you rather be that or would you rather be someone more likely to be pigeonholed based on larger roles? Well, I mean, there's something, you know, when you decide to be an actor, in my case, it was very, very, when I was a child, you know, I come from a family of chemical engineers, um, you gravitate towards certain actors, certain performers. And, you know, I would sit and watch all 1920s and 30s movies starring Marie Dressler, who was like a giant old character actress, battle axe, but it just looked like she was having the best time, you know what I mean? Ripping it up. And if that's what you gravitate toward and you gravitate toward the work and you, that's what you want to do, you know, when I grew up doing plays in school, I was always the one wearing the babushka. You know what I mean? I was always like the cold Russian lady coming in on a coat. I was never the beautiful young, you know, 18 inch waist, like saying, father, I'm bored. You know what I mean? That just wasn't me. So I did a lot of theater. I did a lot of theater early on in my career. I, I was heavily involved in a theater in Seattle called Annex. And we wrote and created like 24 original plays a year. It's still there like 30 years later. But when you're in the trenches and you enjoy the trenches, you just love acting. And when you do it for so long for no money, when finally you move to LA and you're making, you know, a paycheck that's more than your entire family combined, you're, it doesn't make sense. And it's, it's not real. So I'm not, I'm not the kind of I'm, I'm the kind of actor that just really enjoys acting. I don't have a publicist. I don't have an entertainment lawyer. I just enjoy acting. I, I'm a maker, and I like doing it. So, a lot of people are household names because that's what they want. You know what I mean? I I I, I like acting. So okay, so you you, you moved to L.A. at what point? Uh, it, it was funny. I was just telling somebody the story the other day. I, uh, gosh, I guess it was 97, I had, um, I was cast in a play called The Cider House Rules, um, directed by Tom Hulse of Amadeus fame. Yeah, uh, John Irving wrote it, Peter Parnell wrote the adaptation, uh, and Tom Hulse, the actor, who's now a very successful Broadway producer, having produced Spring Awakening and American Idiot, um, he was doing a reading of a play in his living room. And I was, you know, Seattle grunge, leather, you know, beer drinking, dyke about town in Seattle. And he was looking to fill a very specific part, the part of Melanie, 
uh, you know, chip on her shoulder, angry, gay. <laughs> and apparently he kept asking everyone in Seattle, like, who could, who could play this role? And everybody's like, have you met Julian Arminante? Have, have you met Julian Arminante? So uh, I ended up taking that play. I, I did it at Seattle Rep, and I ended up coming to Los Angeles uh, and performing it at the Mark Taper Forum. So literally, like, digging dinner out of a, you know, Seattle dumpster one minute and, like, you know, coming to Los Angeles the next. And uh, I performed it for six months. And while I was waiting to rehearse it, I directed a play because I was just, you know, I hate sitting around. And uh, that year, every award, the Ovation Awards, which is like the Tony of Los Angeles, either went to Cider House or the play I directed at this tiny little theater with a $600 budget. And, you know, it was that kind of introduction. Literally, I'm in my tiny railroad apartment with cockroaches, and I see myself on the cover of the Los Angeles Times saying the, the, the play I directed with a $600 budget had more nominations than The Lion King. <laughs> so it was like, oh, I guess I'm staying here because I've gotten a good response. <laughs> and then I started booking work, which is, you know, a dream. Um, yeah, that's so, actually... That's actually very impressive uh, to to come to Hollywood with a job, and and not be one of those um, waiters auditioning. Yeah, um, well, exactly, and and because it's an, I'm an unusual type, an unusual person, and the play was eight hours long, so I could you know if they they couldn't see my stuff when I'm playing a character from age you know eight to fifty, um, you know I'll never show my stuff, but um, it was it was. <laughs> amazing it was a great experience and we had a blast doing it i didn't know there were plays that were eight hours long yeah there's been a couple uh i think nicholas nickleby the rsc did one in 80 i'm gonna guess 85 i could be wrong uh the kentucky cycle um was a very an eight hour long play that came out of seattle and ended up in new york and then cider house rules so um it's it's a world you immerse yourself in the world you literally show up to the theater um, you know, 10 in the morning, you don't leave till one in the morning. And then the rest of the times you, you spend in a bath of Epsom salts. So. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> yeah, it was really great. So. All right. So you mentioned being gay when you showed up to Hollywood and yeah. that would have been, uh, uh, probably I'm going to say 97, 98. So at that point in time, I know that it's, it's probably one of the friendliest places for gays to have a career right now. Right now, yeah. Right. What was it like then? You know, it's so interesting because I, uh, I'm i actually still in the same relationship I was in when I came to here. I've been 20 years with the same person. And it's interesting because a lot of actors showed up to Hollywood and waited until they got a huge job and the world fell in love with them. And then they came out. And it was a big splash and a big like secret that's uncovered. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't like to use my sexuality like it's an ace in the hole. You know what I mean? Right. No pun, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> that may so, be the title of the podcast. So. Ace in the hole, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know, I, it's, it's not a, you know, I'm not. I wasn't quiet about it. I wasn't loud about it. I, yeah, no, that's not true. With the whole marriage step thing, I did swing my fists in the streets, um, in large crowds. But I, uh, you know, to me, it's not a, it's not a, a weapon. I mean, I, I, uh, 
it's, it's who I love regardless of what equipment they have. Um, so there were people who told me to be quiet about it. Uh, but I think my softball skills were too great <laughs> to pretend anything other than what was actually occurring. So I just, you know, the, the point of being an actor is being honest and true to yourself and being present in the moment. And so that's what I strive to do uh, in all realms of my life. Do you feel like your sexuality was any kind of impediment to your career? Uh, well, I mean, the play that brought me to L.A., I played a, a gay person. The first movie I was cast in, ironically, a Girl Interrupted, directed by James Mangold, the, the casting director, Lisa Beach, called me in for the role of a nurse. And she goes, I, and I want to cast her as a nurse. And I looked right at, right at her at my first audition in L.A., and I went, really? <laughs> and she's like, you have a problem with that? And I was like, you don't want to cast me as the gay one? And she was like, oh. And so because she cast me, you know, I asked for a part with less lines, but a part that I got to hang out in Harrisburg and film with all those actors, those amazing actors, um, for, you know, six weeks, really ripping it and having a blast. So, you know, I mean, I, so I it, play who I play. Actually, I play straight people. I play gay people. You know, whatever. It's it's. I'm an actor. You know, I don't play Chinese people, but I draw them <laughs> on. Although I did do a production of Flower Drum Song in high school. <laughs> All right. Alrighty. So you would say it was actually. I mean, because you you embraced it, it it was not. Uh, it wasn't detrimental. Maybe even beneficial, getting you those first roles. Well, maybe. I mean. It's a, it's a tricky line when you're part of a, I, I, I'm going to say a minority, um, do you ghettoize yourself and stick to the people who are similar or do you just be yourself and just be a person? And I, I'm a huge advocate for the gay community, I, but I don't, I'm also just a person, you know what I mean? <laughs> like. I, some of my best friends are straight white men from Yale, and I think that's okay. <laughs> so um, it's it's a tricky line uh, when you're just being human to just try and be human. That that is uh -huh. not the end most people have for the sentence. Some of my best friends are uh, <laughs> <laughs> white men from Yale. Do you know what I mean? Like, I do. That's all right. I'm allowed to have friends who are straight white guys from Yale. I mean, that's okay. You know, I have all the other friends, too. I mean, there's a sure. lot of crayons in my box. Oh, another metaphor. God. Um, <laughs> I don't have to edit these out, do I? You're going to let me talk for a whole hour? Really? <laughs> anyway, so, you know, I'm a big advocate for my community, but I, I, I'm not about uh, defining in a way that's restrictive. Nice. All right. So let's talk about kittens in a cage. Oh, please, let's. Tell, tell me or tell all of us. What, what exactly it is, and then we'll get into the process. Okay. So I woke up one morning, and I was like, I'm going to make something. And I have directed and written and produced theater for, what, 30 years, 20 years. And, you know, I'm award-winning and all that stuff. But I got to the age where I wanted to sort of challenge myself. And when you're doing theater, uh, it's kind of like building a snowman in Hawaii. You know, it's a group effort. You build this thing and you put the carrot in and, oh gosh, more metaphors. And, uh, and then the snowman melts in it and it disappears forever when you do theater, which I love doing. But I decided to try and film something by using all my skills 
from editing. I've been a, a I've shot I've been a sound boom operator in indie films in Seattle. I've you know filmed things and directed. And I thought, let's take all of those skills and do something I'm afraid to do. So I started a Kickstarter campaign, and uh, I found a very, very funny play, as I said, by Colleen Conway Blanchard, and I called her a veritable stranger at the time. And I said, can I make a screenplay out of this? And she said, absolutely. And I raised, 40, I cleared from Kickstarter $47,000, and we shot this 50-actor women's prison uh, campy parody um, well before uh, Orange is the New Black was out, before Wentworth and all those other women's prison. And uh, we made this very funny, campy, uh, musical sort of comedy. And uh, it was the best time of my life. And um, we got some amazing actors involved in it. Uh, you know, American Idol Constantine Maroulis, um Felicia Day of huge, you know, geek fandom and Misha Collins of Supernatural, Joel McHale, like everyone who was a friend of mine, I asked, you want to be in this? And everybody was like, yep. Uh, Michelle Monaghan, who was like nominated for Golden Globe at the time for her work on True Detective. And it was just like this. Oh, that was so many name droppies, but there, there's plenty more. But it was just one of those like, hey, you want to do this? And everybody was like, yep, where do you want me? And it was... They, you know, everybody got to just play and, and rip it and have fun. And it wasn't about, you know, agents and the contracts and approval. And we made this really fun piece in my backyard. And it's seven episodes. It's on Hulu. It's on Amazon. It's on Vimeo On Demand and internationally. And uh, we really had the best time. And we all want to do it again. And we just read the second script last week. Oh, uh, fun. And have a third treatment going. Um, so, you know, it was, it was a challenge for me and it was something I was afraid to do. And it was something that took, you know, a good two years of my life doing. Um, but I think we're in like 20 film festivals. We've won many of them. Um, so it's been an absolute joy. It's been the hardest job of my life, probably next to parenting. And, uh, but the most, uh, joyous reward because it was horizontally and vertically, my baby and I had to make sure it was born delivered and walking yeah. so it's it's your youngest child yes it's my most recent <laughs> shock so, <laughs> so you um you you filmed it in your backyard you directed produced and uh, you did part of the editing as well I did the I did the rough cut myself only because I didn't have any money and I didn't want uh I didn't want anyone to stop me and I'm, I'm sort of a dumb housewife when it comes to that stuff. I grew up, uh, you know, I've been a Mac user for many years. I grew up through iMovie. I used to cut my actor reel on it. And I dove headfirst into Final Cut, not knowing that it was not the choice of professional editors. <laughs> and but, but the reason I did it was because I knew I'd be able to do it. And I knew without training, without, uh, you know, any formal you know, for 200 bucks or 300 bucks, however much it is, I could buy software that if push came to shove, I could do my sound editing on, I could do my color correction on, and I could, I could edit on and understand what was occurring and not mess it up. And I did a pretty good job at it. Um, I did call in for the pros right at the end after I recovered financially to get the, the show out of the can. 
and uh, this amazing editor and now dear friend of mine, Freddie de la Vega, came in and sat with me in my garage and uh, and did this um, with me for many, many months and made it the awesome piece it is today. But, uh, you know, we did rent sets all over town. We rented courtrooms and churches. And at one point we had Felicia Day acting with a, a monkey in my kitchen. Um, <laughs> we had tiny ponies and and goats and I mean it was like a huge epic like production uh, there's nothing apologetic about it we you know my four-year-old is running down Melrose with a bottle of whiskey and we shoot her in the back I mean it's 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 very it pushes the edge in terms of comedy and what's okay and, and it, you should check it out it's it's pretty it's pretty funny I definitely will yeah. um so your your editing I have to I have to ask uh, because people who direct and then edit tend to come up with a different product than when you separate the two jobs. How much right. how much of your edit got chopped when you brought in a final editor? Well, Freddie, my I call him my Freditor, he he really took, you know, my self indulgent <laughs> wank, <laughs> so to speak, and really fine tuned it. He really just brought it, made it tight. Did the dovetailing, overlapped it, and and we sat together on every frame of it. And he uh, he and I just formed this this bond and what was funny and um, you know. And I, I've told many people like when you start a project like this and you only really have a pot of boiling water and a rock, it really you don't know what the meal is going to turn out, and you have to rely on other people and their kindness. And you know, this person brings. A carrot. This person brings, you know, a parsley and a potato, and, a, and it, it turns into this amazing product when you had veritably nothing when you began. Sure. So, so yeah, Final Cut Pro enabled me inexpensively to to be able to start the process without being stopped, and I didn't want financial reasons uh, to be a roadblock for me uh, continuing to run with the football. You know, so um, many kind people came in, um, sound mixers and, and whatnot. But there were, uh, my actors literally were showing up, but they were calling in ADR lines on my iPhone and we were EQing that and dropping it in. And it was really a group effort and, and very generous on behalf of many people, uh, post-production-wise, production-wise, and, and acting-wise. It was just one of those fun stupid, awesome, colossal efforts for no other good reason but art. And we had a blast doing it. And, and that's my favorite kind of, of making. Um, you know? So this question goes back to the TV versus movie format. Was Kittens in a Cage, uh, do you feel like the, the seven episode format was more conducive to your your process and your, your vision? Or was it just... <laughs> Was it a case of um, just kind of make it up as you go? Well, when you when you make something, I mean, this is a, uh, this was a digital media uh, production. So the reason I could use Screen Actors Guild actors, including myself, I'm also in it as an actor, um, is because of the SAG New Media uh, contract. So basically, it says you know you need to make a streaming digital new media production, and. I, I didn't know what I was making. I So what I did was, rather than define myself by making many five-minute episodes, 
um, I looked around on the internet and I couldn't tell what it was that people wanted. Did they want a three minute? Did they want a one minute? Did they want a seven minute? Did they want a 12 minute? It just seems so random. And this was a couple of years ago as well. This is before the Snapchats and the big short form stuff started coming into play. And so what I did is, uh, rather than film many little episodes, I filmed and edited it into a feature. So I made the entire necklace, rather than make a bunch of little beads and try and string it together later, I made a giant necklace and cut the beads apart. So when we had the opportunity to be distributed, I basically said, how do you want us? What size do you want us to be? And then I went in and re-edited it into a seven-episode format, making 20-minute episodes. Because depending on what platform you're on, you could see it commercial-free or with commercials. If you don't have a you know a subscription, uh, there's two ways to see it. But if you if you want to see it for free and you have to withstand a couple of 15-minute ads, it's better to see a 15 or 15-minute, 15 15-second 15 rather. It's better to see a 20-minute piece with a couple 15-second ads than a three-minute piece with a 15-second ad. <laughs> Definitely. Right? So I, I, sh- I made it as a feature and then, and then cut it apart to suit uh, the people who picked me. Uh, it was also easier to shoot that way. So we basically hunkered down and shot it in 16 days, um, which is aggressive for two hours of content. Sure. And especially if you see the material. We literally go to Mexico. There's monkeys we go to the 1800s we go you know to the 30s and the 1950s i mean it's 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 pretty it's very epic you should see it so because it's on hulu is it being released sequentially like week by week uh no we just we did what was called a batch release um so people could binge watch it It, um you know in the early days of you know digital uh, i think it was it was trendy to do an episode a week or, or something like that and get people hooked. But now I think people get more response off a of batch release. Also that way uh, you could buy the whole series and watch it in one fell swoop if you want to, uh, which is what people do. It's how I watch TV. Me too. I just binge watch. You I know, tend to wait until, yeah, wait, yeah, wait, I'll wait till a series is over. Sometimes a, a couple seasons and then binge watch them all at once. I find it more fulfilling. Me too. Walking Dead is killing me right now because I finally caught up and now I have to wait. I know. It's, I know. <laughs> My friends are cast that. Sherry uh, oh. Thomas and Sharon Bialy. It's an amazing series. So. I agree. Uh, and my wife is completely in love with uh, Daryl. Nice. It's, it's a running joke for us. I'm, I'm actually binge watching. While I made Kittens in a Cage, I didn't want to watch anything related to uh, contemporary women prison shows. So I didn't watch Orange is a New Black purposely until it was over and in the can and I couldn't do anything about it. Uh, so I binge watched that. And now uh, I'm, I'm binge watching Wentworth, which is a women's prison show, I believe, yeah. out, of, out of Australia, which is the remake of Prisoner Cell Block H, which I watched as a child. And uh, when I fell in love with a women's prison uh, genre, so to speak. So it's an amazing show. And I'm, I'm hopelessly in love with with the actors who are the two leads so i've been putting off getting into wentworth uh i will take your recommendation on that though it is mind-blowingly amazing and i'm only at the end of season two and it is heart and mouth amazing performances storyline it's presentation directed beautifully 
Um, obviously, they have more than forty-seven thousand dollars, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a it, it's an absolute pleasure as an actor and as a director producer to watch that show. Awesome. I'd like to take a break here and let everyone know that this episode of Systematic has been brought to you by Text Expander Five from Smile. Text Expander helps you type faster. It takes things that you type over and over again, email addresses, phone numbers, mailing addresses, and lets you assign short snippets to expand into full text. I use it for just about everything I type, including uh, email signatures. I can just type hyphen equals and it'll output my full email signature. I can even input things like my show notes for the show by typing comma comma show note and it'll pop up a dialogue. Let me fill in the guest name and the episode number and then output an outline for the entire show that I can fill in as I record. Text Expander isn't limited to short stuff or even just plain text. You can set up snippets for emoji, rich text. You can even use it for complete form emails. Uh, new in version 5, Text Expander suggests things that you should turn into snippets based on things that it sees you typing regularly. Once you repeat a phrase enough times as you type, it will pop up a little notification and say, hey, you might want to assign a shortcut for this. And it can go the other way, and if you type things that you already have shortcuts for, it'll let you know that you could have done it quicker. Um, if that creeps you out, you can turn it off, but I can't see why you would, since it runs right there on your Mac and saves you even more time. There's no creepy tracking stuff. Uh, Smile leaves that to the NSA. Text Expander 5 requires Yosemite or later and is fully compatible with El Capitan. Text Expander is $44.95 in the U.S. for new users, but upgrades are only $19.95 in the U.S. for existing users, and the upgrade is free to anyone who purchased after January 1st, 2015. Not only does Text Expander advertise on Systematic, but I also provide Text Expander libraries on my own website. There's a link in the show notes at esn.fm systematic 152. So save time and effort with Text Expander from Smile and support the show when you do by going to smilesoftware.com slash systematic. All right. Well, I we could go on with all of these various topics, but I feel like our top three pick discussion will lead into a lot more about you. Sure. So I'm going to go ahead and start that off, and we go back and forth. And so you, your turn is first. What's your first pick for this week? Um, you said I could pick travel. Oh, sure. Um, uh, I did have the opportunity to go to Iraq two years ago. And I feel that that's uh, a little uh, sort of timely with the, with the news and whatnot. It is. Um, as a mother of two small children, it's not something um, you normally would throw yourself into doing. But um, I, uh, I really had no experience uh, of that region of the world, and I consider myself quite well traveled. I've been to Africa and China, and you know, southern South Africa and Cambodia, and gosh, Budapest and India, and you know. And so, when the opportunity came to go to Iraq, um, it was to help uh, direct a piece called um, Nine Parts of Desire" by New York playwright Heather Raffo, and. Um, it's it's basically about nine women um, living through the uh, first Iraqi insult, as I call it, and uh, it was very it was a mind blowing experience traveling there because it wasn't at all what I thought it was going to be. It was just um, it was amazing. Um, I didn't know if we were going to get 
you know, shot at pr presenting the play. Uh, as, it, as it was, we got a probably four minute standing ovation. Um, but while I was there, uh, I, you know, was able to see a lot of Iraq that we don't hear about here in this country. Um, but also get to know uh, the, you know, the students and the young actors. Um, I went to a place called Halabja, in which uh, several thousand people were killed in an instant by Saddam Hussein uh, bombing a civilian city, which I never heard about before. Um, very much like uh, what uh, Hitler did uh, with Guernica. Sure. And, uh, you know, those stories don't get out here. But in the same breath, you know, I'd, I'd go out with the actors to an Italian restaurant, you know, and, you know, order, a, you know, a meal very much like what I would have in, in, you know, in New Jersey where I grew up. So it was very, it was a very eye-opening experience in terms of how very the same we all are. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that would be fascinating. And, uh, you know, I have done a lot of work with refugees. I know the Syrian refugee crisis is happening right now. I did have the very, very, um, very fortunate experience of working with the uh, UNHCR, uh, the United Nations High Commissioner of Refugees, um, and seeing the, the good work that they've done on the ground. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting, all, all that's going on politically with that, um, you know, it, and it comes back to humanity and, and humans. Um, and, and what we do to make this earth a slightly better place than when we got here uh, and helping out, you know, other people. Yeah. I mean, that, that would be my topic of the week. It's, you know, I'm raising my kids to have lemonade stands and give the money to the refugees. And they've raised $3,000 already. Wow. They give little concerts with their guitars. And <laughs> it helps, you know, I mean, it helps them become charitable and, and care about fellow humans as well. Sure. That's yeah. that's so um, timely and uh, uh, important that all of my other picks are going to seem bad now. But. No, no, nothing's bad. <laughs> no, nothing's bad. It's just it's something that I I feel very strongly about. It's it's you know I read on Facebook where somebody wrote you know a fertilized egg is a human but a Syrian <laughs> refugee is not. Um, you know it's it's something to think about. Yeah. Do you see Rosewater? No. Uh, John Stewart's. Uh, movie that was an eye opener for me because it it did show a very different world than I had understood about Iraq from what I've seen on TV. So that was you should check that out. Yeah, I definitely will. It was it was I mean the 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 girls that I met there doing that play. First of all, they're all over the all over the world. They're doing amazing things politically. One of them went on to Dubai to Kevin Spacey's acting. Um, program. One of them is doing, you know, work in Washington D.C. Where I mean, they're just amazing. And you know, when your relatives are hiding in holes and being bombed, <laughs> it, it makes it makes your vision of life a, a bit a bit clearer. Perspective. Um, yeah. You know. So. All right. Well, I guess my first pick is going to be a book. Um, <laughs> you may get a kick out of it, having spent a little bit of time in the Midwest. But it's called the Jesus Cow uh, by oh. Michael Perry. And it takes place in Wisconsin, I believe, but it's still uh, full of references to things like Quick Trip and Farm and Fleet and all of these uh, kind of mainstays of northern Midwest culture. 
And uh, that, you know, that was intriguing to me. But then the, the premise of the book is this farmer has a cow that's born with markings that look exactly like the face of Jesus on it. That's awesome. And he immediately decides to tell nobody and hide it from the public. And then things don't work out that way. And it's about kind of religious fervor and um, uh, the throngs looking for something to believe in. It was interesting. Oh, that's like the, the cow of Turin kind of thing. Yes. That's great. Yeah. I, I, I do recommend it. It's uh, it may seem pedestrian to people who don't immediately relate to the setting, but it gets really good. Right so that's, that's my first pick. Are you ready for a second yet? Uh, sure. Let's do it. All right. Go for number two. Um, gosh, what would that be? Um, how about music? Uh, music. Um, I'm very eclectic when it comes to music. I do have a, a crazy talented daughter who's a guitar player, singer. So it's very interesting, our approach of what she wants to play and how I re- reward her. Um, so she'll, you know, she'll try and play a Taylor Swift song and then I'll show her a Chrissy Hind rift from the Pretenders, you know. So I try and counterbalance current culture with what I think are strong uh, female players from the past, um, you know, bands like Heart and the yes. Pretenders and Blondie. And, and it's great watching a 10, 11-year-old, you know, absorb Adele, but then also put an amazing twist on a Gloria Gaynor song, yes. you know, and turn it into like a Latin thing. The band I'm really jazzed about right now, and it's not just because they're my friends, is a band called Vintage Trouble. Um, they probably about five years ago met in a garage in Santa Monica and none of them knew each other. And I went to college with the lead singer and they made a demo tape, uh, an album called uh, Bomb Shelter Sessions. And this demo tape became the number one uh, album on Amazon UK and has launched a huge career for them. Uh, and watching them go from tiny little smoky rooms to, you know, Wembley Arena to playing, you know, you know, Jay Leno's second to last show. Um, now they have a new album out called One Hopeful Road. Uh, and it really, if you haven't heard of this band, it's, they're bionically talented. And the lead singer is amazing. Check them out. Look them up on the internet. And tell them I sent you, but um, they make my heart pound in my chest more than anyone right now. And not just because I know them. I mean, I literally was, I was in tiny little rooms in Seattle, you know, in which all the sub pop bands played. And, uh, and I haven't been in a room that electric since. Uh, And watching Vintage Trouble play, say, the El Rey a couple of years ago was, was that kind of energy and that kind of talent. Uh, We weren't, you know, Mosh pitting, but uh, <laughs> but um, but that's that's who's jazzing me music wise right now. Awesome. Given your apparent uh, uh, encyclopedic knowledge of uh, rock and roll history, I will take that recommendation very seriously. Please do, please do, because man, Ty Taylor and his boys, wow, check them out. Awesome. Will do. All right, number two for me. Uh, this is going to seem very mundane, but. 
I recently broke my shower head and uh I, I should I should preface that by saying I recently started taking hot showers. My entire life I took short cold showers and decided one day after much prodding that I should try long hot showers. And uh and in the process unrelated reasons, but I broke the shower head and needed to get a new one. So I went looking and I wanted one of those kind of rainfall Amazon shower heads. Mm-hmm. And my because we have multiple dogs, we also needed the detachable arm or like the spray head that on a hose kind of thing and uh i found one called the hotel spa ultra ultra luxury 30 setting three-way rainfall handheld shower combo and uh (laughs) it it was only like 80 no 40 bucks 40 bucks and i had low expectations for it being so inexpensive but it has served us extremely well i love it super easy to install too nice i feel like everyone should have a luxury shower yeah, you know, all I can think of is when we, we were filming Kittens in a Cage with the inevitable uh, women's shower scene. <laughs> uh, you know, of course, we, you know, we're in a theater and a fake set with fake center block walls and whatnot, and we had to film a shower scene, so we didn't know how to do that. So we had fog machines, and I took my camel back that I, that I wore at Burning Man, <laughs> and I, I turned it upside down. I ripped the shower head out of my house, gaff taped it, and then I stood in one of those giant aluminum buckets while they insulted me naked with, with you know, water from a camelback <laughs> as we tried to film the scene before my one liter, like, ran out. <laughs> that is that is amazing and impressive right there. That's that's my ghetto rigged high tech shower story. I'm, I am looking forward to seeing that scene with that knowledge. You are. You really are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a fun day. There, was a, there might have been a little um, Jameson whiskey involved in that one, just, you know, to keep us warm. It sounds to me like whiskey is involved a lot for you. I don't know. That wasn't an implication that you're an alcoholic or anything. I, I'm not. If, I, if, I, if I'm not now, uh, I never will be. But I am. I have been considered Olympic in my time. <laughs> um, I am part Irish. I do have epic St. Paddy's Day parties at my house. In which you know children have been conceived, and I, I kid you not. Um, so it is it is a staple in my house to uh, imbibe whiskey, um, and, and all the best of ways. I, I I am with you on that. I'm a huge fan of. It's I, I, actually, I come from a long. I, my my grandfather was a bootlegger who came to this country uh, and lied to get through immigration. Said he was a gasoline attendant when really he was selling whiskey and uh ended up with i think the longest open irish bar in, in probably the country at one point called dugan's tavern in patterson new jersey um now it's a you know a, a place of ill repute but at the time um sid Charisse, abbott and costello you know a lot of famous sure. actors legs diamond drove my mom to school in a limo once i mean it was a so it's it must be in the dna is uh is bootlegger commonly listed as an occupation on immigration forms? No, it, well I was looking through I was looking through immigration forms, you know, just tracking my family history with my mom. Uh and when he when we saw that he wrote like gasoline pump, you know, pump attendant, the two of us had a a nice long howl because he never did anything similar to that. He he basically had a had a tavern when it was illegal and and again, when it was legal, so 
Um, and, you know, all three of my uncles ran that tavern into the 50s, I believe, even after they got back from World War II. So, uh, yes, yes, so there's whiskey in the veins. Wow. All right. <laughs> well, your, your number three could easily be a whiskey or something tech, because if it's too um, too deep, then my third pick will seem extremely mundane. Let's see. I could I could go for like a, a Burning Man number three. I don't know if anybody's done that on your show before. I'm not sure any of my guests have ever been to Burning Man. Wow. You know, I had never either, and I always sort of was repulsed by the notion because I thought it was um, like Yasker's Farm. <laughs> uh, I thought it was, you know, women with hairy armpits and tapestries and, and whatnot. And I had a friend who had an extra ticket who brought me, and this is related to tech in some way because I'm a huge fan of, of low budget, high tech. So I'm a, few, a huge fan of taking things uh, and, and making them, uh, for instance, my, um, my air conditioning unit, they give you ice at Burning Man. Uh, that's one thing you can actually go buy. And, uh, so I did one of those, uh, hollowed out ice coolers with a battery operated fan with PVC pipe shoving out of it and uh, actually created a portable air conditioner unit in my tent nice. for, for when it was hellishly hot on the playa, which it was. And then at night when it got a little chilly, I did the, um, the tea light heater where you stick a bunch of tiny little tea lights inside a lasagna tray <laughs> and you cover it with a terracotta pot. And then you cover the whole of the first pot with aluminum foil and then you put a bigger terracotta pot over that. And that kicks out enough heat that, you know, you actually get hot in your sleeping bag. But the flame isn't open. Sure. So those are my, you know, aside from gaff taping my hands to prevent my hands from blistering from riding my uh, 1948 J.C. Higgins bicycle, um, that was my, uh, my, my big tech discoveries um, surviving in you know, 107 degree with nothing but some ice. Um, huh. yeah. you, you would have loved uh, my, we, we, had, we built something similar to your air conditioner in college, except it was for smoking in the dorm rooms and vented out <laughs> the window for us. That uh, is a riot. You would have also appreciated my Halloween decorations this year because I took one of those sound activated talking skulls. It nice. was, a, it was a Valley girl talking skull, which I found hilarious. And it's yeah, like, ah, it said things like, um, uh, oh, I can't even remember the phrases, but it was like that talking Barbie that got pulled where she says yes. things like math is hard. Let's go shopping, yeah. except she never really said that. Anyway, right. um, but uh, but I rigged it up so that uh, the old grocery stores used to have this uh, laser beam counter for uh, counting traffic as it came through the door. And every time the laser beam was broken by a foot going through it. Right. It would it would tick, and I I rewired the ticker so that it <laughs> sent a pulse to trigger the skull. So instead of being sound activated, I could make it activate at a precise moment as someone stepped onto the porch. That's great. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, I do I do all sorts of Halloween and, and Christmas rigs where I take the giant um, wrapping paper roll and I carve a trench out of it. And fill it with fake snow. And then when the door opens, it's like snows on top of <laughs> people's heads. Or we, we rigged an, uh, a black owl um, through hooks and eyes and strings 
then when you open the door, it sort of comes down and swoops at the kids and they scream. And I, yeah, I, I like sort of rigging stuff like that. I have mapped out many similar ideas for next year. This was the first time I ever decorated for Halloween. And yeah. Next year, I'm I'm building I'm building a miniature haunted gauntlet. I think. But yeah. Wow. How do you do that? Is it like hand or thing thing from Yellow Submarine? No, not like an armor gauntlet, like a, a tunnel kind of gauntlet, like run the gauntlet wow. kind of thing. Um, That's awesome. So, yeah, yeah, we're we're big on Halloween decoration. We have full skeletons on our porch, and we my kids jump out at people like it's really, and we have like you know sound wired all over. It's uh, fun. I like it's you know this thing about being in theater. Yeah, um, is being able to do stuff like that. I remember we were in Iraq and the electricity didn't work and nothing. I was literally stripping wires with my teeth and shoving them into walls to get lights on the actors as people had broom handles around me. Um, it's it's nice when you when you come you know through the desperate low budget tech of of theater to be able to problem solve. Yes, uh, I worked like I worked that. crew for University of Minnesota Productions, which nice. had zero budget. So yeah. It, it does build a, certain, a very particular set of skills. Desperation. <laughs> yeah. We, as a matter of fact, that first play I directed that won all these awards, uh, the space we could afford wanted us to strike our set every night. And we were like, no. And so instead, we flew all of our furniture on ropes and sandbags and counterweighted it so that when people needed a chair, they would reach up and pull it down and sit on it. And then they would stand, the chair would float to the ceiling. That's brilliant. And beds we'd pull down just because we didn't want to strike the set. And, uh, you know, every once in a while we'd have to refill the sandbags if the weight, weight counterbalance got off. But um, I love problem solving like that so in the, a way the that's... Pre precursor to the tiny house movement? Yes, exactly. <laughs> totally. Uh, I am... Uh, and speaking of tiny houses, I'm, I'm try desperately trying to find a vintage trailer for my driveway. Oh, you should so get that, one of those, um, the egg-shaped ones, like the early Airstream... Yeah, or egg shape or like a canned ham or something like yeah, that. Because yeah. um, I want my kids to have like a little Scooby-Doo hut to practice their music. Um, so it's, you know, I've been just researching all over eBay and Craigslist and looking for that perfect, you know, sleeps for canned ham, you know, can pull it just to get off the grid and get away. So. Sure. But this is in addition to your residence. Oh, yes. In addition to my residence, which, you know, we, we're, we you know. <laughs> we sleep we sleep inside sometimes too but we do i do stick the kids in the backyard in a tent and they think it's like the wilds of africa i love so. backyard camping when i was a kid yeah it's awesome we do it right we even like rig electronic moons and we sometimes <laughs> i stick out those speakers and I'll, I'll have like wolf sounds and you'll hear the girls like screaming like it's really fun I don't have I don't have children but that hasn't stopped me from building a small forest with uh lights uh, in my bedroom. Really? Yeah. We and have, like, like change the light around and like have the shadows. Like, yeah. Change. There's like Stop motion a, photography and birch stuff. branches coming out of the corners and everything. And Can I have a picture? Do you have my email? Will you send me a picture? Of I, I don't have your email, but I will get it from you when we're done. Okay, awesome. And, uh, okay. and yeah. All right. Well, my third pick, my super boring third pick is, um, the Foz power dual USB port car charger with a pin <laughs> lightning cable. They do not name these with good names. But um, but it's a little like cigarette adapter for uh, USB port for your car it gives you two USB ports. But what I love is it has a built-in cable coming off of it with a lightning adapter, so I don't need to carry lightning cables. I can use the two USB ports for other things. 
but yeah, it's super handy. I can just plug my phone in. I can use it with any kind of mount. Uh, it's It's been great. And it's cheap. I don't remember the price, but it was not expensive. I'm on a, a cheap streak today. I'm all on. I'm all about the, um, you know, the lighter adapter in my car. I have, you know, one of those things that converts it to electricity, so I can plug my computers in. I have uh, an air tire inflator. I have you know, a dust buster. I have like a whole world of light <laughs> lighting things for uh, to to run around and fix things on the move. Um, I do have one of those 12 volt like generator converters that plugs great, in. They? they really are. They really they say, are. They've saved my hiney so many times when I go to have a meeting and like, you know, <laughs> I need to charge something and, and it makes a little noise. So you're like, what? But um, it's pretty great. And and being able to inflate your tire while your tire's low, while you're in the road, like out of your cigarette lighter is unbelievable. That I have not tried, but it sounds extremely handy. Yeah, they're great. Nice. Thank you. All right. Well, that brings us to the end. Um, people can find you at Jillian Armanante. Jill, yeah, JillianArmanante.com. That's my actor website. Um, Do you have my, a personal? My, well, no, I have uh, uh, thekittensinacage.com, which okay. is really where the party's at in terms of uh, fun stuff. Just click on that trailer there and you'll see what I'm talking about. Awesome. And that will be linked in the show notes as well. And then you are also Jill Arminante on Twitter. Yes, I am. Is there anywhere else you'd like to list? Well, I have Jill Arminante on Twitter. There's, I think there's a Jill Arminante, Jillian Arminante on Facebook. There's a Kittens in a Cage on Facebook. There's a Kittens in a Cage on Twitter. Um, yeah, like that. And uh, I'm also doing, I'm also on Fresh Off the Boat, so occasionally that comes up uh, uh the first Asian American television show to be on network in 20 years, which really? I'm very proud, very proud of that since, since Margaret show. I didn't realize it was so groundbreaking, but it is, I, I have enjoyed that show thus far. Yeah. It's, it's so fun and doing a sitcom and doing comedy and having the pleasure to work with those incredible actors is uh, really the highlight of my, of my week. And we'll all be watching for Hail Caesar. Oh yeah. That's going to be, that's going to crush it. <laughs> all right. Um, Let's see. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, my God. Anytime, please. All right. Well, and I am uh, Brett Terpstra. You can find me at brettterpstra.com. There is a, a systematic uh, Twitter account that I always forget to uh, publicize, uh, Systemcast, S-Y-S-T-M, cast. So go find that and, and follow it because no one knows about it. So, um, And you can find me as T.T. Scoff everywhere. And again, this has been... Episode 152 with the wonderful Jillian Arminante. And thank you one more time. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And we'll see everybody in a week. Bye.